Well, PJ, uh, am I on? We didn't test this beforehand. Yeah, I am. Good. Uh, PJ asked me to, uh, he's been asking me, I think it might even be a couple years to do this. And uh, I'll tell you, I'm kind of nervous about it. So, um, so I said no, like all the time. And, uh, and then he asked me again and I said yes. And uh, I can tell you this, that I have never uh, prayed for the Lord's return as much as I have <laughs> in, the, in the last two months. So, uh, so this has been a good, uh, already, it's been a good faith builder for me. And, uh, and uh, I, I really appreciate Pastor Dick, pa- Pastor Jonathan. I appreciate the opportunity. Anybody else who had anything to do with uh, me being able to be up here today. So uh, I'm just grateful for the opportunity. Grateful to open God's word with you. I'm excited, nervous, um, all kinds of good stuff. Um, but, uh, but it's good to be in front of so many of you that I know. So let me, I want to open us up in a word of prayer because I feel so comfortable talking to my father. And, uh, and I want to uh, do that before I open his word. Lord, uh, thank you so much for, uh, for scripture an opportunity for us to learn uh, more about you and an opportunity for us to, uh, to learn more about ourselves. And when we know those two things, Lord, we know that uh, uh, there is such, uh, such a difference between you and us. Uh, you're a holy God that deserves uh, for us uh, to worship you fully. You're a holy God and perfect, and we are so imperfect Thank you, thank you, thank you for giving us your son. Thank you for filling the gap between who you are and who we are so that we can have a relationship with you. Lord, I pray as we open your word today that we would be able to see what it takes to live a life of godliness. Lord, to transition from accepting your son as savior to pursuing you with our entire heart. Lord, I pray that uh, as we open scripture, again, that we be changed. Don't let us be the same people we were when we walked in here this morning. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to talk from down here, and I hope that's okay, because this church looks bigger from up here, and I don't want to stand up there. Um, But in 2007, so what is that, uh, six years ago? Uh, Pepsi, and some of you are going to recognize this story, but in 2007, Pepsi ran this promo. It was called You Design Our Can. Uh, I wish I would have gotten paid to come up with a name for that because it was self-explanatory. You Design Our Can. So people like you and me had an opportunity to submit designs to Pepsi, and they would put it on an actual Pepsi can. And so in 2008, 35 different times... Uh, Pepsi put something different on their Pepsi can. They had things like camouflage. They had one with the London Bridge on it. They had uh, one with uh, butterflies. I refused to drink any of those. Uh, and, uh, and things like that. And then uh, there was another one that kind of got my attention. I, I, I don't know if you're like me, but nearly every single day at two o'clock I hit this wall and I just need caffeine to get me through the day. Um, I don't drink coffee so my drink of choice is Pepsi. Uh, And so uh, two o'clock on a Thursday afternoon I'm drinking this 
Pepsi and I spin around in my desk chair and I'm about to make the game-winning shot into the recycle bin, very Jordan-esque, and I notice this on my Pepsi can. It says, have you left your mark? And before any of you think that God was speaking to me through a Pepsi can, uh, all I simply did was kind of ask myself the question, Scott Boyer, have you left your mark? And not necessarily for my benefit. Uh, have you left your mark for you? That's kind of, that's kind of vain. But S- Scott, are you really leaving a mark uh, for the Lord in this life? Are you doing things that are going to last for eternity? And so I was challenged by that Pepsi can, so much so that I saved it. I have it. So here's my six. I hope you don't hang on to junk for six years, but I did. Have you left your mark? It's right on the top of my Pepsi can. Ordinary Pepsi can. But an opportunity for me to ask myself a question. Scott, have you really and are you really leaving your mark? So I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, what does it take, you know, when we look through Scripture and we look at people who left their mark. You know, you look at Hebrews 11. And you see the hall of faith. And you see people who left their mark. What did it take? When you look at Paul and he says that he finished the race, what did it take? When you look in Acts um, and you see Stephen being stoned and with his last breath, he was praised to God. What does that take? What does it take to live a life of godliness? <clears throat> There's a portion of scripture about an 85-year-old uh, Caleb that continues to make me strive toward godliness. It's in the book of Joshua, but I want to read you a real quick quote from a guy named Kevin DeYoung. He wrote a book called The Hole in Our Holiness. Uh, and he says this, uh, that uh, there's a gap between our love for the gospel and our love for godliness. <clears throat> You see, godliness is hard work. Godliness requires that I put something into it. Godliness requires that I do some really, really hard things, things that aren't natural to me. And so as I talk today, realize that I'm not a preacher. If I'm preaching to anybody, I'm preaching to me. Uh, I'm not a preacher because I have five points instead of three, and none of them start with the same letter, or none of them rhyme. So, uh, so we're, uh, we're going to look at what it takes uh, uh, to, live, uh, to live godliness, the hard work of godliness. Um, it's not going to happen. It's not gonna, we're not going to go to sleep tonight and wake up godly tomorrow. Uh, you're not going to eat lunch today and before dessert hits the table, be godly. Uh, it takes something. It takes a life of pursuit of God. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you've got your copy of Scripture, open it up to Joshua 14. And I want to just give some quick background information, uh, some that you're probably well-versed in, but uh, if you were to look back in the Old Testament, you'd see uh, Israel was held in slavery in Egypt. Moses leads them out of slavery uh, and uh, across the Red Sea, 
toward the fulfillment of one day entering the promised land. So that's as quick of a summary as I can give you about uh, an awful lot of uh, where the Old Testament's going up to this point. And, uh, and so that's, that's kind of where we're at. You'll know that in Numbers 13, the Lord instructs Moses to send out, right? Send out a, a spy uh, from each of the 12 tribes uh, to go into the promised land and just, hey, what's it like? Uh, come back and bring us a report. And so, so he sends out uh, one from each tribe, and Caleb happened to be chosen from the tribe of Judah. The land is incredibly fruitful when they get there. Incredibly. Uh, it is exactly what it was promised to be. Uh, they didn't call it, it wasn't called the promised land for nothing. It's incredibly fruitful. It doesn't disappoint. There's a huge problem, though. Uh, the problem is that there are some pretty big guys there. Uh, the Anakim. Uh, and so uh, there are some big guys. They've got huge cities. Uh, and uh, they were formidable uh, foes uh, for the people going into the promised land. So uh, when the 12 men return, 10 of them give a really human report. You know, if you look up and down your row right now, uh, there's probably 10 people in your row, something like that, 12 people. Uh, 10 of those people uh, gave an, un- an incredibly human response. Man, did you see those guys? They're huge. Do you see their cities? They're fortified. How are we ever going to do that? How are we ever going to defeat them? But there were two, uh, Joshua and Caleb, who said, no, if, uh, if God's with us, then it doesn't really matter how big their walls are. It doesn't matter how big they are. It doesn't matter how formidable of a foe they are. Uh, they're not my God. And so they have two who say, yes, let's do it. Uh, The people grumbled, they feared, long story short, they didn't go into the promised land. They wandered for 40 years, dying. Joshua and Caleb are the only two that get a chance to go in. And so, here we are in Joshua 14, the, the wars are mostly over, Israel is in temporary rest in the promised land, but the enemy isn't totally driven out. Joshua starts to divide up the land. If you've got sub, subtitles in your Bible, you probably see right at 14, mine says division of the land. Uh, and so this is where we're at. Before I read this, I'm going to read Joshua 14, verse 6 through 15. Uh, before I read this, I'll tell you this, that for the most part, uh, I'm just taking an educated guess on some of these names. So, uh, so I'm not a Hebrew name scholar. So if, uh, if I get one wrong, you'll just have to forgive me for it. So I'm going to start uh, 14 verse 6. Now, uh, the men of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. 
Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses. While Israel moved about in the desert. So here I, here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there, and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Hebron used to be called Kerioth Arba, after Arba, who was the greatest man among the Anakites, then the land had rest from war. Here's what I want to talk about today, uh, and I'm going to give you five points, but uh, the first one is this. Uh, living a God-honoring, faith-enduring, mark-leaving life requires bold convictions. We see it in Caleb's life in, uh, in chapter 7 there. He says what? Uh, I brought a report according to my convictions. You know, if you look convictions up in the dictionary, you're going to see that it means to have a strong belief in something. Uh, to have a strong belief in something. Depending on the version of Scripture that you're, you're reading out of this morning, yours may say what was in his heart. He brought back a report according to what was in his heart. And we're not talking about physical pumping heart. Uh, we're talking about, uh, basically, we're talking about Caleb's spiritual condition. He brought back a report based on what he knew to be so true of God. God had totally, uh, he had totally immersed himself uh, in what the Lord wanted for his life, uh, that it naturally flowed out of his heart. Uh, his lips said what he, knew, what he knew to be true about God in his heart. According to Luke 6.45, and you know this verse probably well, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Caleb's heart is full of God. Caleb's heart is overflowing uh, with the Lord. And the natural outpouring of that is it goes from his heart to his mouth. Those are his convictions, the things that uh, I call them hills you're willing to die on. It's something that Caleb is not going to deviate from because he knows it to be true of God. So we need to have bold convictions. It wasn't circumstantial because their men were giants. Uh, have you seen the walls? Those guys are huge. It wasn't circumstantial. It wasn't based on circumstances. Because circumstances probably would have told him, no, don't do it. It's not worth it. It wasn't based on his feelings either. Uh, it wasn't selfish. If you look back in Numbers, you'll see, Numbers 13, you'll see over and over and over again, Caleb says that it's God who will give us the victory. Caleb wasn't selfish about it. Uh, he wanted it because God wanted it. So he has bold convictions. It also wasn't hasty. Uh, Caleb's convictions were established well before he, they left uh, for Canaan. Uh, he had been there. He had been 
in Egypt. He saw the Red Sea parted. He saw water from a stone. He saw food from nowhere. And his convictions were based on what he knew to be true of God. And the compass of his life was according to what God wanted for his life. So, Christian, the, the opportunity that we get today, that you and I get to participate in today, is that we get to be people of bold conviction. We have to be. We have to know that what's going to come from our lips is an outpouring of God in our heart. What's going to flow through our hands is an outpouring of God in our heart. It should be exciting for us. We've got something that Caleb didn't have. We've got scripture in its entirety here. And I cannot think of a better opportunity for us than to build conviction based on what God's word says. I haven't been around very long, 31 years. But in my 31 years, I don't think there's ever been a time, at least I haven't been paying attention enough, I don't think there's ever been a time when we need bolder convictions, when we need to be so grounded uh, in who we are in the Lord uh, that we don't deviate from that. Uh, Everyone is deviating right now. Everybody is left to center, right to center, wherever. Um, Let's be people who have convictions in the Lord and hold tight to them. Here's the second thing. Living a God-honoring, faith-enduring, mark-leaving life requires a whole heart. You see it uh, three times in this passage, 8, 9, and 14, where it says what? That he uh, followed the Lord wholeheartedly. I get really, really excited about this. Uh, I get pumped about Caleb's example wholeheartedly. Um, It literally sometimes just makes my mouth hang wide open um, because I'm so half-hearted. I'm so half-hearted too often. And so I look at this example in Scripture, I'm like, Caleb, a human, just like me. Human being, he wore an earth suit, just like me, okay? And he's wholehearted. Six times in all of Scripture is somebody described like this. Uh, Three of them are right here about Caleb, uh, that he followed him wholeheartedly. The other three examples are also of Caleb, uh, that he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. So our example in Scripture of what it looks like to follow the Lord wholeheartedly is Caleb. It's the only one that these words are used of. He's the only person. Wouldn't you love to be known for that? Wouldn't you love to be known as somebody who followed the Lord wholeheartedly? Uh, The meaning of the word here is that uh, it actually, that it fills the gap or the gap is filled. Uh, So there's no gap in Caleb's heart. There's no gap in his allegiance to the Lord. Uh, If we can kind of break down the text there. Uh, It's pretty awesome. Uh, Kyle Eidelman gives what I consider to be a pretty brilliant example of what it looks like to be half-hearted in his book, Not a Fan. Some of you have probably read it. Uh, 
He talks about this, that the God of the universe, the one who created you and I, the one who sent his son to die for us, uh, for the sin that we commit, um, he desires a throne in our heart. He desires to set up a throne in our heart. How many people sit on a throne? One. One person gets to sit on a throne. Nobody shares a throne. But instead, what we do is we, we set up a couch uh, on our heart. And we'll set a whole bunch of things along with the Lord. Uh, but he's no longer ruling on the throne of our life. Uh, and so I'll throw some other relationships on there. And, you know, because I'm a guy, I invest my life into my work. Uh, and so I'll throw that on there. And because I'm a teenager, uh, I'll throw my Facebook account on that couch. Uh, and because uh, of whatever, I'm going to throw all this stuff on the couch. Uh, and before you know it, God's up on the arm of the couch. And before you know it, he's off the couch. Um, we got to have a throne in our heart. Wholeheartedness. What an amazing opportunity that we get to live with the purpose of wholeheartedness every day. I thought of uh, Lindsay's Aunt Hazel uh, when I was thinking of this, this whole couch illustration. She literally had a couch that was about 97 and a half feet long, okay? The only couch I've ever laid down on and had space at the top of my head and at the bottom of my feet, okay? You could fit a football team and the marching band on the same couch, um, but as I was sitting in my, uh, in my office yesterday, just kind of reviewing my notes and getting ready for today, I thought about my own heart. <clears throat> I thought, man, I've got that couch there so often. That giant could fit everything couch uh, when really God is desiring a one-seat throne. We've got to live wholeheartedly. He desires it. He, he can't have it any other way. Um, and so we need to be people of bold conviction, and we need to be people of whole heart. Here's the third thing. Living a God-honoring, faith-enduring, mark-leaving life takes incredible vision. You see it here in, uh, in verse 10 where, uh, where it's said of Caleb... Uh, now then, or Caleb is saying, now then, just as the Lord promised, he's kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said to Moses, while well, Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. How long from the promise to the, to the fulfillment? 45 years. Caleb went into the land as a, as a spy at 40. 45 years later, here he is. Uh, at the fulfillment of the promise. Uh, there are goal-setting people in life. And you might be a goal-setting person. I love goals. Uh, I'm a goal-setting person. <clears throat> I wonder how many of us have our 45-year plan mapped out. Um, 45, I'll be 76. Uh, I really haven't thought what life looks like at 76. Many of us don't have a 45-year plan. But Caleb had amazing vision. 
some of you are sitting here thinking, I, I, I don't plan. I don't have vision. I'm not creative. I'm not an idea person. I don't, uh, I don't have these spectacular ideas. Nobody's ever called me a visionary. Uh, and so, uh, so how can I be a visionary if it's outside of my, my character? And the, the good news is that it's not that kind, that's not the kind of visionary that Caleb was. Uh, it's not the kind of visionary you and I have to be either. Caleb simply did this. He knew the promise that God had for him, and he relentlessly pursued it with his life. That's what it looks like to be a visionary like Caleb. 45 years. He could have easily, easily, easily thrown himself a pity party, right? Well, those 10 guys don't know what they're talking about. God, you promised it. What's going on now? Well, I guess maybe they're right. Maybe the Anakites are big. Maybe we had no business going in there anyway. He could have easily thrown himself a pity party. But what he does is he simply does not lose focus on the task at hand. He's not given up on the plans God has for his life. Circumstances didn't change things. And he knew that he was going to have to give himself and give, uh, and give that time to do exactly what God had for his life. One of my favorite guys in history is a guy named Frederick Law Olmsted. Uh, any Frederick Law Olmsted fans in the group? I didn't think so. Uh, Frederick Law Olmsted is the father of landscape architecture. Okay? A quarter of you fell asleep by the time I said, by, by the time I said that. Uh, He's the father of landscape architecture. Anybody ever been to Boston? We've got a few Boston, a few people in Boston. Okay, there's a, you know, there's kind of like a park system there, the Back Bay Fens and the Emerald Necklace and things like that. Olmsted is responsible for those. Uh, anybody ever been to the Biltmore Estate? I think it's, I think it's still the largest house in America, uh, private residential house in America. If Shaq's house hasn't overtaken it by now, uh, but. Uh, he designed the architecture, the landscape architecture at the Biltmore. And uh, probably his crowning achievement is Central Park. And probably a lot of us have been there, or you've at least heard of Central Park. And uh, so Central Park, Olmsted designs all of uh, the landscape architecture. It's beautiful if you've ever been there. Uh, here's what he said he wrote to his son. And he said this to his son, and then I'll translate it to you. Uh, he said, basically, I have long considered distant effects that the beauty of Central Park wouldn't be realized for 50 years. So what he's saying is, we're going to plant trees now. We're going to do things now that aren't going to be realized for 50 years from now. This place is not going to be what it was meant to be for 50 years. Olmsted was 80 when he said that. He knew he would never see it. But he knew that he needed to take a step to doing it or it was never going to get done. And so I think what an awesome example we have in Caleb who no matter how long it could have been 150 years that he waited on the promise. 
but he took the step every day to follow God wholeheartedly. That's what a visionary looks like. A visionary, you know who God is and you have a relentless pursuit of, who, of him. And so let's be those kind of people. What an exciting opportunity. What an incredible opportunity you and I have uh, each and every day to wake up and be those kind of people. Um, we've got to get excited about it. Um, we're not going to be different 45 years from now if we don't plan to be different tomorrow and pursue God. Um, so uh, we need to wake up uh, tomorrow with a fresh vision uh, for who God has created us to be and the steps he wants us to take uh, to be closer and closer to him. Here's number four. Living a God-honoring, faith-enduring, mark-leaving life takes deep passion. This is some of my favorite stuff in scripture right here. I love this because I think of my grandmother when I read it. He says this, uh, we know he's 85. He says, I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there. Their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out, just as he said. 85 years old. Uh, 85 years old and... His thought is, let's go. Let's go do exactly what God has called us to do. <clears throat> if you're here and you're 85, I don't want you to get the wrong impression by the comments I'm about to make. Uh, I might get myself in trouble here. Uh, but if I'm assembling a war party to go out and take a city, uh, my first thought is not, Wow, I wonder how he, how he handles a sword uh, of our 85-year-old people in here today. Uh, my first thought is, let me go to the young adult Sunday school class and get some really strong, uh, get some really strong people. Uh, but at 85, he says this, I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. He has a deep, deep, deep passion to do exactly what God has for his life. It blows my mind when he says, I'm just as vigorous as I was 45 years ago. He says, give me that hill country. I want to pause and just uh, make sure that we catch this too, because I think it's important. It wasn't give me the low country, or give me the easy street, or give me something. Uh, it was give me the toughest part to conquer. Give me the hill country. Give me the place where those giants are. Give me the place that Moses told me was my inheritance. Uh, he has incredible, incredible passion. I think Caleb's also sending a message to everybody uh, here saying we should have done this 45 years ago. We should have done it. We didn't have the passion then. We should have done it 45 years ago. So let's be people of passion. Caleb never lost his edge. God had consumed him, and he knew that nothing was impossible without or with God. Do you light up 
when you talk about God? Uh, when God calls, is the answer always yes? I think we need to ask ourselves those questions. When I was thinking yesterday in my office again, uh, I thought back um, I thought back 14 summers ago. 14 summers ago, I was 17, and I finally realized who I was and who God was. And I realized that the only way to bring that back into communion uh, was through his son, Jesus Christ, who died for my sin and died for your sin. Um, As I thought back 14 summers ago, I thought about the passion that I possessed uh, when I gave my life to Christ. Passion for the Lord. Um, Immediately, I said, I I need to go to Christian school because I need to know the word. Uh, Immediately, I said, I got to tell my friends because we're all lost. Uh, Immediately, I was trying to do whatever I could do um, to follow what God had for my life. If I wore a passion meter, uh, they don't exist, by the way. You won't find it on Amazon. Uh, If I wore a passion meter 14 summers ago, it would have been off the charts. I probably would have broke it uh, with the amount of passion I had for the Lord at that point. I kind of sat in my office yesterday and said, Scott, you need that passion. Where Where did it go? Where's it going? Do you have it every day? Why are you letting circumstances get in the way of your passion? Why, you, why do you let people get in the way of your passion? Why do you let uh, this or that or the other thing get in the way of your passion? And uh, so I want to I say this to you. We need to continually and daily remind ourselves uh, to have this kind of passion. And for me, yesterday, uh, what a shot in the arm when I remembered the day that I gave my life to Christ. I jumped out of bed this morning as much as I can jump. Uh, We got to get this. And again, I'm going to bring us back to the statement that if there is ever a time, hasn't happened in my life, if there is ever a time that the church needs passionate people, and not just people who are passionate about social justice or people who are passionate about... um, about just doing things, but people who have a deep passion for the Lord. Uh, It is now. Uh, Our culture uh, responds well to people of passion, Uh, and uh, we need passionate believers who will communicate truth uh, and who will pursue God with everything they have. And so passion uh, is our fourth thing. Here's, uh, here's the last. Uh, living a God-honoring, faith-enduring, mark-leaving life uh, leads to God's blessing. It's 13 through 15 here. I'll just read 13. When Joshua blessed, uh, Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, gave him Hebron as his inheritance. Uh, Caleb received this blessing. And I always think of blessings like presents. Like, oh, sweet, I got something. That's amazing. Uh, Thanks for the blessing. Uh, Here's what it really means. A blessing means that we enter into the sphere of God's favor. We enter into the sphere of God's favor. 
it's so completely impossible for us to even know what that fully looks like. Uh, I can't comprehend it. What does the sphere of God's favor look like? What is this uh, bubble of, uh, of God's favor really look like? Let it kind of soak in for a little bit. A blessing isn't that you receive something like a gift, but it's that you actually enter into the Lord's favor. Uh, culture tells us that, in, that gratif- gratification should be instant, right? Uh, every single time the world will leave you empty, though. If you want something to hold bold convictions for or live wholeheartedly for uh, or have incredible vision for or possess deep passion for, this is it. That God might actually look at you or me and say, yes, that's it. Well done. You got it. For Caleb, it was inheriting Hebron. Uh, but don't, don't think for a minute that Caleb simply wanted a piece of land. Uh, he didn't just want a piece of land. Uh, he could have gone anywhere else where it was easier to get a piece of land. Uh, he was after the yes. He was after the well done, the you got it. His was a relentless pursuit of God and his promise will lead to his favor. Anything the world can give you will pale in comparison. It'll just, I mean, the world could give you everything, and it'll pale in comparison to this. God's blessings will absolutely knock your socks off. It's amazing. Craig Grishel, I'll finish with this. Craig Grishel says this. Uh, Craig Rochelle wrote Soul Detox, and we did it as a church uh, a little while back. But he says, uh, he says this, that your life is too valuable, your calling too great, your God too good to waste your life on what doesn't matter. This is the stuff that matters. Christian, uh, I beg you, God's word begs you. Caleb's life begs you. Uh, Leave your mark so that God is so completely and supremely honored by it. What a challenge that we get from the life of Caleb.